Good morning again. For those who don't know me, I am Jody Hart. I'm one of the elders here at the church. Trace is on vacation. Uh, if you look in the back, you'll see it's actually a staycation. So uh, as many of you know, when Tracy goes on vacation, he asks various elders to preach. So I was uh, asked about oh, four to six weeks ago if I preached this Sunday. And uh, I agreed to, to preach. I took some time thinking and praying of what to preach about. And uh, a little inside baseball here. When I preach, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself. Because what I say here really applies to me, and you get to eavesdrop what goes on in my mind, which I know is a scary thought to many of you. So I radically organize it, make it a little more, uh, makes it flow a little bit easier so you can understand what's being said. Uh, since Tracy asked me to preach, um, I gave him this text. And uh, then he asked me the title, and I said, well, it's not about you. And then I'm sitting at church last Sunday, and Tracy begins to preach about obedience out of love. And I started to sweat. Because I've been working on the sermon, as I said, for about a month, and I'm hearing my sermon much more eloquently and intelligently, but I'm hearing points that I was going to preach. It's like, uh-oh. I think I... I chose this text. I wasn't going to teach any, take, preach from John because Tracy had been preaching in John since I think Trump was president. Um, and he'll be preaching in John, I think, until the next uh, administration comes into office, which is great. Yeah, there's so much in Scripture, we can never get enough out of it. But um, so Tracy's main point last week was our obedience comes from love, not fear from love. Christ fulfilled the covenant of works. We now live under the covenant of grace. Those are terms, that, they're theological terms that not many people use in their conversation throughout the day or the week. So let me try to, it, I, I thought, what, what exactly is covenant works? I know what it is, I know what I, how I understand it, but let me tell you what R, how R.C. Sproul explain, explains the uh, well, covenant of, of grace. The covenant of grace is the essence of the covenant is the same throughout the Old and New Testament. The covenant of grace is the same throughout the Old and the New Testament. God saves sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. That's what the covenant of grace is. There's nothing we can do to add to our salvation. The work has been done, been done by Christ through his works it's finished. When Christ was on the cross, his final words were, it is finished. The work is done. We can add nothing to the sacrifice of Christ. We are saved from the wrath of God through the completed work of Christ on the cross. We who believe in Christ have been justified once and for all through the sacrifice of Christ. Unfortunately, there are those who take this idea and decide, well, I'm justified, therefore the law has no bearing on me. I can live any way I want. The term for that philosophy or thought process is antinomialism, which is a cool Latin word meaning the law has no bearing on me. So it doesn't matter how I live, the price has been paid, I don't care. But then you go to the other extreme of legalism. Christ's work is sufficient for your, for your 
salvation. But if you're truly saved, this is how you will live. You will do A, B, C, D, and pretty soon you get double A, double B, double C. They have all sorts of rules and regulations that apply to you. Sometimes not necessarily to them. Then you have the people, well, I'm saved by grace, but I better make sure, I better do enough. Because maybe, just maybe I'm going to hedge my bets that Christ's work wasn't complete enough. So out of fear of losing their salvation, they feel they better told the line. The truth is right there in the middle. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But in Ephesians 5, it says we are saved by grace through faith in order to do good works. So you can't have faith without works. James said faith without works is dead. So we need to work. We need to do good works in response to what God has done for us. Not to earn God's favor, not to please God, not to get a few more brownie points, not to just make sure. Yeah, he got us to the to, four-yard line. We better cross the line on our own efforts. It's done. Now let's look at the text. In Matthew 5.13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Those of us who are disciples of Jesus, we are the salt of the earth. Not you should try to be, you might be. Give it the old college try. You are the salt of the earth. We believers in Christ are the salt of the earth. When we begin to follow Christ, we are now the salt of the earth. When we talk about salt here in, in the U.S., we think of Morton's when, it's, when it rains, it pours or in the last 10 years or so, the pink Himalayan salt, some guy who used to throw a football around here in New England, you made that foo-foo salt pretty popular, that and avocado toast. So we look at that, how can that salt lose its saltiness? It's salt. What Jesus is talking about in his day, salt was more like the rock salt we have. It's a clump that had salt in it. I don't know if, you, if any of you have used rock salt in the winter for your driveway, or sidewalks. I had some one, one winter. I had some leftover, put it in my basement. I went, went to the, into my basement the next fall, and there's all this liquid in the bottom of the bucket and just a clump. The salt had come out of the, out of the, out of the, the rock. It was no, the rock was no longer salty. It had no value. I could throw it all over my sidewalk. It wasn't going to do anything. It lost its saltiness. It was no good for anything. And if we lose our saltiness, we have no, no value to God. So you throw them out and just cast them in the street. Jesus then goes and says, we are the light of the world. We're the light of the world? I thought Jesus said he was the light of the world. But Jesus is the true light of the world. But as followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit within us. In essence, making us little Jesuses because, in fact, it, we read in Acts 11 through 20, 25 through 26, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and we had found him. He brought him to Antioch. 
For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many things. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Christians mean many Christs. It was a derogatory term, but it's more true than they thought. We are many Christs in that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. The Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity. Therefore, if we have Christ in us, we have Jesus in us. Therefore, we are God's representative, God's logo, God's ambassador. We are the reflection of Christ in this world. We are many Jesuses to those around us. There are those who have never stepped into a church, and we are what they see of who Jesus is. So as we profess Christ as Savior, our actions demonstrate who Christ is. Jesus tells us that our light is like the light of a city on a hill. It shines to all the valley, so the valley below can see it. I have a daughter who lives out in Dutchess County, New York, and when I drive home up the Taconic Parkway at night, I can look, I see all these lights in the cities and towns. They can't hide that light. It just overcomes the darkness. Our light is supposed to overcome the darkness around us. We are called to make Christ's light shine brightly all around so that others will see our good works. Our good works? But what are good works? There must be a list somewhere of what the good works are. Maybe to become a member of the church, there's a checklist of good works. Have you, have you met this list of good works so you can now become a member? No, it's not there. Many of you have, have gone to school, college, or get an organization to pass this an exam. You have to meet the, the criteria. There's no criteria. There's no specialist of what good works are. There's some obvious things that can be done to bring glory to God. Some of us volunteer at the rescue mission. Others volunteer at the rec ministry. Others at Christina's house or Route 1 Ministries. Uh, they serve by uh, bringing bread through loaves and fishes. There's all sorts of ways that we can serve a community and bring the love of Christ to those around us, not for our own benefit, but to bring glory to God. You can serve right here in the church. You can teach the Sunday school teacher. You can serve as a deacon or an elder, work in the nursery. Work with uh, John Roy on the, on the, on the, uh, the grounds of the, the, the uh, church. Can you mention giving? And how she mentioned how Tracy talked about obedience. Our giving is given through obedience, not out of compulsion, not because you better, you better give. All those are good things to do, but none of those are required to shine your light before the world. Even the giving part, that's not required. All those are good things, but they're not required. There is no secret list of what you must do. In reality, our good works are more than tasks. The good works that we're called to do, really, the way I, I'm looking at Scripture these days, and God has convicted me, it's the way I live my daily life. Not my tasks, but how do I treat other people? Not just my friends or my family. How do you treat the people that you come across, to be quite frank, are pretty darn annoying. Maybe it's a boss, a coworker, a neighbor. How do you respond to them? Do you turn the other cheek? Do you act more like a Karen than a Christian? 
Any Karen out there, I apologize. Tracy mentioned last week that we obey out of love. That is true obedience. Many people obey out of fear. If I don't do this, I'm going to get punished. But being in Christ, we have nothing to fear. For God is our provider, our sustainer, our comforter, and our friend. We cannot do anything to get God to love us more than he does right now. Since we cannot earn God's love, our obedience must be a response to God's love. And as we respond to God's love, we bring glory to God to the world around us. We read in 1 Samuel 22, 15, Samuel says, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to listen to the fat of the rams. God wants us to obey. He doesn't... Yes, we had our prayer of confession because we need it. And it brings joy to God when we confess and repent. He'd rather not have us have to do that. If we obey, we don't have to repent. As I said, I'm preaching to myself when you get to listen in. If you're a parent or a spouse or a child, do you not want to do what pleases others because you love them? I know some of us come from families that aren't necessarily the healthiest, but doing something out of love is so much more gratifying than out of fear. If you do something out of love for someone who loves you, you know that you will not hear that you could have done more. The person loves you and all that you do for them. Every Sunday as I sit here, I see the kids at the, the kids' table coloring the papers, and they come running up during the sermon and give the paper to the mom or dad. I made a gift for you. That's a great gift for the parent. It's the, all the child had to offer. He did it or she did it because she loves the parent. And it shows me as a bystander how much love the parent has shown the child because the child wants to return in kind as much as they, they, they can. Our motivation to do good things is to glorify God, not ourselves. Do you get works so they will glorify your Father in heaven. Years ago, I was told when I was younger, that's younger, younger, that I should have an I love me wall. Has anybody ever heard of an I love me wall? It's a wall in your office or your home that has all the awards and certificates of achievement you've gotten through your life, whether high school or college or, or at a job. You have this nice wall with all the certifications. Great. Work hard, get awards. Awards are great. There's nothing wrong with getting awards for, for doing a good job or getting an attaboy. But we should be working our lives to bring glory to God, not to ourselves. Our motivation is to the, the people around us glorify God. I know a man who works in an office and with a lot of younger people, and they were mouthy. They had horrible language, horrible attitudes. If he was a, the sole Christian in the office. But th th they knew he was a Christian, but he never judged them. He never condemned them. And he tells me that one day this girl starts swearing and stops and turns to, to, the, to the man and says, did I offend you? 
she was so concerned about offending him, she saw the, lo the love, and instead of using it to mock him, she was concerned that she would offend him. And it was his response was, I'm not the one you have to worry about offending. And the woman got a little quiet. If we love God, we are to keep his commandments. When we keep his commandments because we love him, he will be glorified. The more we love God and keep his commandments, the more God will manifest himself in our lives. The more we act like Christ, the more we will see who Christ truly is and we'll become more and more like him. It's a constant growth. Yes, we were born again once, we were justified once, but we grow. I look back at my Christian walk over the last 60 years and I see things that I believe, attitudes have changed. My kids can tell you they've seen a change of attitude over the years. They probably wonder why I love my grandkids more than, they, more than I love them. But I love them because they gave me grandkids. But as we mature, we become more Christ-like. We, we should become more Christ-like. We should shine the light of Christ to those around us to give God the glory. I feel too often we are more like the eldest son of the story of the prodigal son. You all know the story of the prodigal son, the young son says, give me my inheritance, I'm going to go and squander it. He squanders and comes back to his father, and his father runs down and hugs him and kills a fatted calf and gives him his robe. The older brother, who is faithful and obedient, for obedience' sake, was angry. He didn't understand his father's love for the prodigal son because he didn't truly love his father. He was being obedient so he could get what was left in the inheritance. I fear too often my relationship, and maybe some of yours, is like the elder son. Am I doing enough to God? Am I, am I pleasing God enough? Am I making God happy? As opposed to saying, God, I love you. I want to just do what brings you honor and glory. Do we feel like the duty-bound son who's overlooked? If so, it's because we've forgotten what God has done for us. <clears throat> it's complete. It's finished. When you look around this church this morning, you'll see all sorts of people with all sorts of gifts. Some of us are more wealthy than others. Some of us are more apt to spend time in prayer and reading than others. Some, some of us may volunteer our time more often than others. We should never look at someone and say, I wish I was more like them. Because God has given you a personality and has given you your, your abilities. You need to be the person that that God has made you to be so God can use you to glorify him in the situation he's put you in. We live in some troubling, chaotic times. My youngest daughter asked my wife the other night, if we ever remember this country being this divided, we both said no. I know in the 60s and 70s there's some race riots and a lot of nasty things going on, but Yes, I'm too young to remember that. I was born in 61, so at that time I was a, a goofy little elementary school boy wearing shorts and playing baseball. But there have been disagreements in politics, but nothing like this. I've never seen such venomous attacks against people with different opinions. People on both sides of most positions are guilty of this. 
What's really troubling to me is the way that I see self-professing Christians behave. The vitriol, the anger, the ugliness, the meanness that comes out of the mouths of some of these people who call themselves Christians embarrasses me. It offends me. I was talking to Bob Tung a week or two ago, and he was saying how frustrated he was to see how Christians were being ridiculed and, and mocked in the media. But then he realized, you know, because the actions of many Christians, we deserve it. Our actions are not those that bring glory to God. A few years ago, I was thinking about how Jesus would eat with the sinners and the tax collectors. We've all, we're all familiar with those stories. He's, his, he's accused of eating with the tax collectors and the sinners. Many times he sat down with the sinners and the tax collectors and ate with them. But what really amazed me as I thought about it was the fact that the sinners and the tax collectors would sit and eat with Jesus. They knew his righteousness. They knew his holiness. They knew their sin and their unworthiness. But they saw the love, the compassion, the gentleness, the mercy that he offered them, and they were drawn to him. Do sinners and tax collectors want to eat with you? Not because you like them. Not because you'll, could, you'll partic participate in what they're doing. Even though you, you live a holy life, do you live in such a way that you're not judging, condemning, you're loving? There's a gentleness that draws people to you so you can in turn draw people to Christ? Has anyone ever asked you, why are you so different? Can you give glory to God because of your actions? Can we give glory to God because of our actions? Paul says that the gospel is a stumbling block, but our attitude should not be. We need to take the light of Christ and put it on a hill so the people will be drawn to the light like a moth is drawn to the flame. I see people of many political persuasions claim to be Christians and then demonstrate the most unchristian attitudes and actions. The anger and vitriol they spew. I don't want to be like them. Paul wrote in one of his letters, be like me. Be imitators of me because I'm an imitator of Christ. Can, you, can we say that? Can I say that? So I read what many self-identifying Christians post online, even though I may agree with their political positions, their delivery makes me want to distance, my, distance myself from them. Just try to read the comments on Facebook after a Christian leader states something online that doesn't fit neatly into the little theological box. The other day, Tim Keller posted, the root of all sin is the desire to be like God. How unscriptural was Tim Keller? I want to be like... So it's attack after attack after attack. I went, hmm, that sounds familiar. Genesis 3, Satan said... Eat this fruit and you'll be like God. Oh, but Tim Keller's wrong for saying it that way. Let's open our minds a little bit. I've, many Christian leaders have been attacked online the last couple weeks because they have not come out and, and praised publicly the Roe v. Wade decision. And since they didn't publicly praise it on their Facebook post, therefore they support abortion. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't make those two 
two, two conclusions. If we spend our days and nights railing against social issues, as important as some of them are, some of them they are, we may miss showing the love, gentleness, and compassion of Christ. Will your political views draw people to Christ and glorify God? Will your social positions glorify God? Will your personal morality bring glory to God? If we respond with anger and rage, people will not listen. The only people that Jesus used harsh words towards were the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders who should have known better. He never condemned the prostitute or the tax collector. He never rebuked the Roman authority or the Roman soldiers. He dealt with them peacefully, knowing that they were not able to understand the righteousness of God because they did not have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. It was his, guilt, his works of mercy and compassion that drew people to him. In the same way, our lives would be lives of mercy, compassion, gentleness that draw people not to us but to God. We need to live the fruit of the Spirit. We need to let the fruit of the Spirit manifest itself in our lives. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. They need to permeate who you are. Those are the good works that will glorify God and draw men to him. If we were to show those traits to everyone that we encounter, no matter how annoying they may be, imagine what people would say about you. I was thinking of this very recently, a couple weeks ago, coming down State Street. There's an idiot driver. Cut me off, started mouthing off to me, and I began to rely, to respond from my human nature. But I caught myself, realizing that I'm preaching this sermon about letting my good works shine so God will be glorified. And what if that man was a visitor this morning? He walks in those doors, sits in the back or wherever. He says, ah, I remember that guy. This is his church. He's an elder. This is what CPC stands for. This is what Christianity is all about. This is this love of Jesus. How quickly do you think he'd walk out that door? He said, I'm preaching to myself. So if you're squirming, I'm squirming more. I'm sorry about the way I responded to that gentleman. I wish I could find him and apologize. I don't do any good. Yeah, he was an idiot driver. But he didn't deserve the living I gave him and everything else I wanted to give him. I have need to learn, we need to learn to let our good works shine. We are a city on the hill. We can't hide it. If people know you're a Christian, the Christian, as Jesus said, the world hated me, the world's going to hate you too. They're looking for any reason to take you down. And we give them plenty. I'm not talking about the extreme political people in our daily lives. We sin. That's why we begin every service with a prayer of confession. Because we sin. Because our lives fall short. 
but we need to strive to let our good works shine before men. Not because we are trying to earn anything from God, not because we want people to think more highly of ourselves, but we want to make, we need to have our good works shine so the world will glorify our Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, you are the true light of the world. Christ came into the world to save sinners, as Paul said, of, which, of whom I'm the, the chief. Father, we, so, we strive so often on our own efforts, our own abilities, to live up to a standard that we cannot meet. Lord, help us to live a life that glorifies you. Help us to be motivated to obey you out of love because of what you've done for us. Help us to glorify you in all things, from the great and the small. In Christ's name we pray, amen.